News. 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 New York City. FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC, the New Yorkers podcast from the newsroom by and for New Yorkers, the city. I'm Katie Honan here with Harry Siegel. Hi, Harry. Hey, Katie. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the news this week. I guess the biggest story so far on the day of our recording is Mayor Eric Adams' announcement that NYPD officers, mental health professionals, and other city workers will start helping severely mentally ill New Yorkers, whether they want the help or not, by hospitalizing them, which the mayor calls, quote, a moral obligation, unquote, and says is intended to dispel, quote, the myth that we cannot provide involuntary assistance unless the person is violent, suicidal, or presenting a risk of imminent harm, unquote. Critics, however, say it's a poorly thought out, likely illegal, and, quote, a page from the failed Giuliani playbook. We're going to dig into that, uh, but first, here's Harry with some of the other news from another jam-packed week in New York. So, Eric Adams on Wednesday is headed to France for a conference on anti-Semitism. While he's there, he's taking a side trip to Qatar that he says he's paying for himself to, quote, Learn more about the 2022 World Cup ahead of New York's bid for the 2026 Cup. A correction department investigator testified in federal court this week that drugs, weapons, and other contraband brought into Rikers Island usually comes from guards and workers there rather than people visiting prisoners. That testimony happened to come on the same day that the city agreed to pay out $3,500 to each of the more than 70,000 people who were held at Rikers between 2014 and 2022 for hours after paying bail, Uh, a settlement that would top $300 million if all those people apply to get their money. And the Supreme Court on Monday heard arguments that made it seem very likely it would overturn two successful prosecutions by former U.S. Attorney Preparara of people tied to then Governor Andrew Cuomo, including Cuomo's former right-hand man and honorary brother, Joe Percoco, and a group caught rigging a bid for the then governor's Buffalo Billion Boondoggle. If the court does overturn those convictions, it would further expand the space for legal corruption. It began drawing with its unanimous McDonald decision in 2016, overturning the conviction of a nakedly corrupt Virginia governor and his wife, after they collected six-figure gifts from quote-unquote friends with business before the state. That's a lot to talk about. Um, A lot to talk about. But first, here's your holiday season reminder that FAQ NYC is brought to you by The City, a nonprofit newsroom that holds New York's powerful to account and shines a light on New York City's undercovered neighborhoods. And from now through the end of the year, every dollar donated to The City will be doubled thanks to a generous matching donation. To power the city, NFAQ NYC's essential local reporting, donate at thecity.nyc slash give. That's thecity.nyc slash G-I-V-E. Thanks, Katie. And let's jump right in here. One mental health professional I spoke with today noted that, quote, there has been no guidance of any kind provided to the people actually making decisions about hospitalizations once police bring in people for evaluation. That person noted that they get these guidances continually for COVID, for Ebola, for Legionnaires, for mental health things. And in this case, a big public announcement 
and radio silence about what this actually means for the people who would be doing these evaluations on the presumably mentally ill people the police have made that judgment on and brought in. You reported on the mayor's announcement yesterday, noting that Adams did not have specifics to offer on what city government could offer people after they're evaluated and hospitalized, and also noting that state law requires their release after 72 hours of hospitalization if a patient is psychiatrically stabilized, even if they don't want to take medication or accept treatment. So, Katie, for for listeners who haven't followed the minutiae here, what exactly is this new policy, which seems certain to be challenged in the courts, and what do we know and what don't we know at this point about how it will actually be implemented? So Mayor Adams on Tuesday, you know, made in the, these prepared remarks at City Hall with questions after what he said is this overhaul of um, how the city works with people who have severe mental illness. He was specifically speaking of people, you know, on the street, whether it's street homeless or other people you see around. Um, and the main change, I mean, a lot of it requires state legislation, but, you know, we can get into that later. But the main change is that he's going to direct police officers, EMS workers, and other city employees who would usually work with these people, that they can force people, essentially, into hospitalization based on their own determination. You know, previously, you could not force someone to go into hospital unless they were specific, unless they were harmed to themselves or others threatening suicide or things like that. But this change... Um, and, and this is this is hospitalization for an evaluation. So yeah, that's for the 72 hours, not, not long-term. But it means you can take someone off the street and say, you, you see him crazy, you're lying in the middle of the street, for right. example. Yeah. Um, you, you have to come with us. You have to be uh, hospitalized and evaluated. Right. And obviously, you know, the concern that came from so many people right after this mm-hmm. was, A, is this legal? Um, people have already threatened to... Uh, sue, right, or, or to stop this. But then also there's the larger question of how is this actually helping people who who have severe mental illness? There's concerns about the staffing numbers. The mayor even acknowledged that there's a staffing shortage, right? I mean, shortage, we don't know what, what the baseline number is and how many people, but there's just not enough mental health workers um, to actually work with people, whether it's a psychiatrist or, or someone who's trained to actually deal with people experiencing severe mental illness. Um, the idea of it is the correct number of beds for people who require these evaluations, but then also, are there enough supportive housing beds? Um, you know, people I spoke with in reporting this, uh, one woman, Cal Hedigan from Community Services Inc., the CEO, said, look, you know, there's an extreme staffing shortage. And what people who have mental health challenges need are consistent staff to work with them. You know, this isn't something overnight. You know, you don't get, you don't meet with someone once, get hospitalized, and suddenly you, you no longer have challenges. This is a consistent and it needs to be near daily, right? Working with people. So until you have that staff, how can you actually really help people who need help? Um, And whether it's severe mental illness or whether it's just someone who's experiencing some sort of challenge. So, So those are the concerns. You know, what struck me in the mayor's remarks and then afterwards in his questions is, he kept repeating, you know, this is sort of like a, a vocal tick, you know, whatever. We all have ticks. We all repeat things. If you listen to this podcast, you know, I certainly do. But the mayor just kept harping on, if you're in the street looking unkempt, if you're in the street looking unkempt, um, it just seemed to be more of an optics thing of we need to get people who appear to be mentally ill and look unkempt, whatever, however, clarify, you know, however you want to qualify that or quantify that in the subway and on the streets, just getting them off the streets 
because what people feel uncomfortable around them, but does it really truly address these longer term mental health issues? Katie, can you talk about what it is that the mayor can do on his own and what it is he needs the state for? Again, returning to, he can provide, he says, this involuntary assistance, and he points to stuff that the state put out in February that he says, and his lawyer, the corporation counsel says, allows for this. That will get tested in court, but assuming that's so, after those 72 hours, presumably most of those people are going to be uh, released if they're stabilized. It's a question of state law. Mm -hmm. There's limited beds, as you mentioned, to put them into. There's questions about the applications of Kendra's law. Like, If the idea is to remove people who, who are unkempt or seem really disturbed from the streets, and many critics are, are very troubled by this, my question is, is this something the mayor can actually do on his own? Or to what extent does he need the, the legislature and the governor to sign on for this to be a plan rather than a press announcement. Yeah, I mean, there needs to be cooperation from the state and laws need to be changed in order to do what I think the mayor is trying to do. I mean, one thing that we wrote about my colleague Alyssa Katz, who first off wrote earlier this month a really powerful piece um, focusing on a man named Justin Campbell and his mother, Clarissa Crater, who, you know, he's had for years um, severe psychosis, violent episodes, and just I found it to be a very powerful piece looking at just how someone actually, if you have a loved one experiencing this, what is it actually like? What is your life like dealing with this? I mean, we can get to that in a bit, but um, Alyssa spoke with uh, State Senator Diane Savino, outgoing State Senator Diane Savino, who will be joining the Adams administration um, next year when she leaves office. But she introduced a bill that uh, did not pass in the last session that would extend the hospitalizations for people with chronic and severe mental illness. Um, you know, as you noted, Harry, currently it's 72 hours is the limit if a patient is psychiatrically stabilized under medical care and then they're released. So she's hoping that this bill advances um, because there's this, this issue of if someone needs longer evaluation right now, it, it's, it's not really an option if it's involuntary. Um, so there is that need for getting that and changing that. Um, but but she's leaving and joining the Adams administration, which right. has been pushing on these things, even as the legislature that she is exiting and that did not, uh, y you know, pass this bill into a law has, has been has been pushing back. There seems to be some disconnect maybe between uh, uh, the mayor here and the, the Democratic apparatus in New York, at least to this point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and these are they need a lot of I mean, speaking of state cooperation, they also need back in October, Governor Hochul and the mayor announced the addition of 50 beds for people who need psychiatric help. But I mean, when you think of 50 in a, in a city of 8.4 million people or so, what is 50 beds truly? You know, and the mayor asked for both cooperation from the public hospitals, which they have a control over, but then also private hospitals. So there's a lot of just concern. And, and I do want to go back to Alyssa's piece, which you could all find in the city. The The headline is how to keep your son from killing someone. Um, Alyssa spent a lot of time with this family and, and how they work with this. And she spoke with Clarissa, the mom yesterday, basically to get her reaction to this announcement. And what Clarissa Crater said is, is I didn't hear any long-term solutions, which is the main criticism from a lot of people who work with people who have severe mental illness, who are working with people who are street homeless and maybe intersect with severe mental illness. Um, so yeah, the announcement on Tuesday was, you know, and then the fact that the mayor now is off to to Greece and and Qatar, 
It's like you make this big announcement and then you sort of leave and we don't know for certain when all this stuff is going to begin, if they're going to continue to add beds, um, what will this actually look like? You know, when the mayor earlier this year announced that he was clearing out encampments, it was a very visual and perhaps violent look at just clearing these encampments, trying to get people into shelter. Um, but what will it look like actually forcing people into hospitalizations? Um, I guess we'll see in the in the coming weeks what that will look like. What always throws me off with this mayor is is this question of what's policy and what's optics. So with the encampments, he effectively just continued and without dramatically even changing the pace, a de Blasio era policy. The difference is that de Blasio would never talk about clearing those encampments, even as his administration was, in fact, doing that. And Adams raises his hand, goes to the New York Times and says, this is me. I'm doing this. The, this needs to be clear. This, this is unacceptable. So, so that's a huge tonal shift. Not much long later, as uh, the asylum seekers were overloading what was already a severely overstrained shelter system, uh, you know, Adams, through, through his corporation counsel, the same lawyer who's saying now that actually we can involuntarily bring people in for evaluation. And we're going to do this based on our judgments and who are is and how these judgments work. Th those are all basically unanswered questions at this point. The mayor's like, there's some hotline police can call. We'll see, as Katie's saying, how this is going to play out. Uh, but but he he created the, these giant tents uh, called Herks, the mayor, and said, by the way, these are outside of the right to shelter system that's established, long established under the law. Here he's saying that the legal precedents that seem to govern who could be brought in for these 72 hours to be uh, stabilized and to check on their condition against their will. The, the way that law has been read is long. So it seems like the Adams administration and corporation counsel, Brendan McGuire, have been very actively exploring precedents that have been taken as binding and pushing back on those. And, and court cases take a very long time to play out. And maybe in the meantime, this opens up political space. Or maybe it turns out that these policies are all in violation of the law. It's, it's, it's unclear, but it's an interesting set of tests. And, and that's one reason why all these advocacy groups like the uh, Coalition for the Homeless, like the NYCLU are reacting so negatively and aggressively to these to these plans are, are this seems to be an attempt to change the law in practice, perhaps. Yeah. And I mean, the criticism that we saw when the mayor was clearing encampments was very few people who were cleared actually went into shelter. So where did people right. go after if they weren't going into shelter? And it doesn't address the root issue, right, of people need housing. Um, and it's the same here with people who have mental health needs and who have severe mental health challenges, they need supportive housing. The mayor didn't know any additional supportive housing being built. And I mean, I just, I keep going back to Alyssa's original piece and then also what she noted in the piece that we wrote on Tuesday, you know, Clarissa Crater, this is someone who's experiencing it. This is someone who's dealing with her son who has these issues and these challenges. She herself is a retired transit cop who actually worked and patrolled the, the subways at the same time as Mayor Adams um, when she told Alyssa that, you know, at, at that time, the MTA allowed you to just eject disorderly customers. So I don't know who, obviously, this is a huge team of people in the mayor's office. You have the deputy mayor and, and all these other people involved, all the different agencies, but 
um, in speaking with the people who actually work on this, what is being done. Um, Norman Siegel spoke to Gothamist and WNYC yesterday, and he's a friend of the mayor's, and he'd been part of some big announcement earlier in the year as well where they were working to train volunteers to interact with street homeless to get them into shelter and work with them. He was very critical of this plan as well. Um, so I think on the extreme, the extreme critics of it just think it's, you know, you're forcing people into hospitals and it's sort of, you know, you're just forcing people off the street against their will without actually providing the long-term care that they need to get better, which, you know, that's what the mayor wants. I think we all want people to be as healthy as possible and safe as possible, but it's just different opinions as to how to get there. I, I mean, do we like, like, I think the long-term solutions, this is, this is what's so interesting to me is like the, the long-term solutions everyone's known for at least 40 years, really since deinstitutionalization, yeah. that you need supportive housing. Supportive housing is very expensive. Um, and, and you know, in the interim, you have incredible challenges if you're not going to, to house really mentally disturbed people and make sure they have care around them all the time. And it just becomes a spread out and diffuse problem around the city that ends up falling to some extent to the police as as first responders and we go through these cycles again and again and again and rhetorically at least it seems like adams is trying to break through some of this yeah and and and, and say he's balancing this set of concerns but in practice he seems to be going to the very short term we have to just clean this up this can't be the sort of street scenes people see and we need to take people off the street sort of solutions. When when the city's office just moved from, from midtown to downtown, and for reasons I'm not entirely clear on, but plainly had to do with city policy, to some extent, the COVID hotels that then became homeless hotels yeah. um, in the course of that wave of asylum seekers I mentioned earlier that, that strained the shelter system. But midtown was, was full of, when we arrived there, when I arrived there, uh, people who, who were passed out on the street, uh, a lot of whom I, th I think were using fentanyl. And I, I would check on just to make sure they were still breathing. I'm not seeing that downtown. And there were also a lot of mentally disturbed people I'd see just getting off the train. Uh, one day there was a guy who was just walking down the street um, and then started throwing cans at cars, wow. you know, sort of from a distance and then weaving into traffic while swinging not not high and not menacingly, but just back and forth in his right arm, a golf club around. And he's walking. I don't want to interact with him. Nobody else wants to interact with him. The traffic is trying to move around him and not hit him. He's somebody who pretty clearly was mentally disturbed and in need of some sort of help. Yeah. Did not seem to be seeking it, but instead to be engaging in, in, in plainly antisocial behavior. Um, so, so maybe that's somebody who does need to be evaluated and given some help, and, and then ideally moved into long-term solutions that, that that were not an immediate part of what the the mayor just announced. Yeah. Uh, but there's tons of more marginal cases, and the idea that that seems like maybe, in my view, at least a common sense example, but that the police or other city workers, and maybe they're calling some hotline number, are going to make this decision case by case. Legally, morally, otherwise, it, it, it's difficult for me to see that uh, 
ending well. It just seems like an endless wave of strange tabloid stories uh, begging to happen. Yeah. And I mean, when asked about the staffing issues and, you know, does the city have the staff, let alone the beds, right? Especially in parts of the city. I think when people think of um, what the mayor calls, you know, unkempt people or people on the street, I think they they imagine it in, in Midtown, right? Where it's been an issue, there's been more of it. But in other parts of the city, there's certainly people who need mental health intervention across the city. I think, of, obviously, I'm biased here, but in a borough like Queens, where I live, which has the fewest number of hospital beds per capita, how are we going to continue to strain the few hospitals in Queens with this forcing people into hospitalization if you aren't actually providing the support and the beds and the staff? Um, and the mayor's cutting staffing all around the city, except at the NYPD yeah. at the moment. And the other thing the mayor kept bringing up when he was asked about these staffing challenges is he kept talking about, well, they can FaceTime, you can FaceTime, you can FaceTime. So I don't know, you know, what telemedicine or telehealth person will ultimately get contracted out by the city, but it just seemed to be, um, again, these where it's a very serious problem that needs serious and long-term solutions and help and investment from the city. And I don't know. None of that was announced in the big announcement on Tuesday. Katie, what are you going to be looking for as this policy is implemented and going forward as signs of of, uh, this working or not working? I assume that the mayor, not unreasonably, like one of his first indicators will be uh, opinion polls. Yeah. Right. The, the, the consistently show New Yorkers worried about a disorder, wanting more police on the trains, um, actually on board with his with his homeless encampment sweeps, which is mm-hmm. maybe why he wanted to put his name behind that. So so I, I am interested to see how the, the, the public response here. Um, and obviously all this is uh, is part of his saying after this gubernatorial campaign and Lee Zeldin's fierce city sort of appeal. No, I'm a Democrat and I am doing something. But. Optics and public approval aside, uh, in in your reporting, what are you going to be looking at uh, as you're tracking this issue going forward? How it's implemented, um, data on how many people are brought in, and then obviously, you know, who is, again, the mayor kept repeating this telehealth, telemedicine focus. So I don't know who's going to get that, right? Who's going to be the person in charge of that? Um, In in the almost year that, that Mayor Adams has been in charge um, he does, he's big into tech, right? I mean, which sounds stupid, right? Like everyone is into tech. We all have phones and we're talking over zoom, but he seems to really view it as the solution, um, to issues where maybe more staff and more, more in-person stuff would help when he was running for mayor. If you recall, there was a sort of brief controversy mm-hmm. where, um, he was talking about how, oh, you can have, you know, remote schooling for kids. You can have all these kids in a room. You could save money on teachers. Um, Five hundred so, yeah. kids in a classroom. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. So that it seems to be something that he views as very important and and as a way to um, just solve issues. Uh, but I don't know if that necessarily will work. He, he likes to say, "I might be butchering the rhyme." You know, uh, you you neglect what you don't inspect. And so, so right. one other number I'm very interested in is not only how many people are brought in for these seventy two hour evaluations, mm-hmm. but what happens to them. On the other end, I assume that the city will do their best to obscure these numbers uh, in in part because of medical privacy. Uh, But that will be a a real test about whether people are actually getting some sort of more significant help or just being swept away briefly 
and then uh, presumably returning, uh, maybe having had that crisis peak, maybe not, uh, to the circumstances they were already in. Yeah. All right. Let's leave it there. Uh, we'll have much more to come, including, I think, this Sunday uh, on, on, on this new plan and uh, the response to it. Yeah, we will be looking into all of this and... Um... You know, I'm I'm curious to see. I saw the Times published a story Wednesday morning where they went out and spoke to people on the street and got their take on it. So it's important to actually talk to the people who this will affect um, and get their take on what's going on. Um, but I know that this is just the beginning, I think. And I'm sure by the time we meet again next week, we'll have plenty of stories of the mayor from Athens, Greece, where he's attending an anti-Semitism conference, and then Qatar, where he's at the World Cup, because he said, as he told us Tuesday, he has to go because he's a very hands-on guy. He also says he's paying for his own trip, but yet again, it has made this a pseudo policy. Like he won't, he won't show his receipts. Yeah, which I find I, I find frustrating. Speaking of, of tech love, you know, he had he had his crypto bro fly him first class to Somos. He says he paid for that. No one could see the receipts. Last it's, it's year, just La- I should point out that was last yes. year. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, we we as as uh, we shall see. As I say, when I don't know what's happening next. Stay tuned. <laughs> F- FAQ. This has been FAQ NYC. We're part of The City, a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to hard-hitting reporting that serves the people of New York. From now through the end of the year, every dollar you donate to The City will be doubled. And you can do that by going to thecity.nyc slash give today. That's thecity.nyc slash G-I-V-E. We are headquartered at NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty, Policy, and Research, and are a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists, Critics, and Artists, online at popula.com. Our hosts this episode were me, Katie Honan, and Harry Siegel, who's also our executive producer. Our engineer is Adam Kamara. Thank you, listener, for joining us and making it this far. Be kind, be cool, and we'll be back soon with more.